that happened to us when we were considering whether or not to run for president because I was very resistant and I actually felt like, well, Lord, okay, I gave 20 years to public service. We just bought a home. We have three grandbabies. I don't think you want us to enter this race. And my daughter, who helped me with the book, actually said, Mom, maybe you need to read your book. Welcome to Biblical Higher Ed Talk, where we tap into the wisdom of leaders and practitioners of biblical higher education for the advancement of colleges and universities teaching the way of Christ in the modern world. Each week, we'll tackle topics around leading your organization, expanding your impact in the world, and deepening your faith through Christ-centered conversations. Ready to make a difference in the lives of your faculty, staff, and students? Then let's begin our journey. Today on Biblical Higher Ed Talk, I sit down with Karen Pence, the former second lady and wife of the United States 48th Vice President, Mike Pence. The call to serve God has no boundaries. Hear from Karen's experiences as she navigated how to reflect Christ in the most public of places. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Philip Dearborn, President of the Association for Biblical Higher Education, And we are honored to have as our guest this week, Karen Pence. Many of you who are listening into this podcast probably recognize her name uh, because of the very public role she has played at the state and national levels of government. Karen has just released a new book that tells the story of the journey that she and her husband have been on, a journey that continues, a journey of ups and downs, a journey of wins and losses but really a journey that's been filled with the goodness of God. And Karen, I had the opportunity to meet you this summer at an event in Iowa, and uh, we struck up a conversation, and you told me about the book and some of the things that you're passionate about. And you were so gracious when I said, hey, we've launched a podcast. Would you be willing to be a guest? And uh, you uh, accepted it. So we're just thrilled to have you on and looking forward to hearing what God has laid on your heart for our audience. Well, I'm happy to be with you this morning, Philip. Very excited to talk about the book. So thank you. So before we actually talk about the book, and I had a chance to read it, and we'll talk about how you can actually get that book, start us off just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more at a personal level. Share with us one instance in your life as you reflect back that God used to kind of shift or change or move you forward in either your personal or your professional life. You know, honestly, I and I tell this story in the book, I, I think I would say it's when I realized that Christ wanted a personal relationship. I had always had a deep, deep faith, and I had very little biblical knowledge. And when I started dating Mike, uh, his friends were saying, is she a Christian? Is she a Christian? Is she a Christian? And I felt really judged by that. And I, I, it bothered me a lot. And I asked him, why are they saying that? And he said, well, what they're wondering is, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And I said, well, I didn't know that's what he wanted. I mean, I was raised that that would be very selfish to ask him for good weather for the picnic or, you know, show me what job to take or whatever. And I felt like that was, you know, being selfish. And he said, no, let me show you in the Bible. And I started listening to Christian music and I started reading my Bible and doing Bible studies. And it 
totally changed my faith. I was playing guitar uh, up in front of the church, and he came up afterwards and said he wanted to join the guitar group. <laughs> gotcha. And that worked out pretty well for him. Well, let's talk about your book. I enjoyed reading it. It's called When It's Your Turn to Serve. And I have to ask the question, and you mentioned it in the book, but it, it's a fun story. One of the themes that you kind of weave throughout the book is around honeybees. So tell us the story. Why honeybees? You know, it's an interesting story because when I was first lady of Indiana, I went to a conference for first gentlemen or first ladies, and we learned about what some other spouses were doing. And it was very interesting to me to hear that Ginger Beebe in Arkansas had a beehive at the governor's residence. And I thought that would be a great idea. We have six acres at the governor's residence in Indiana. And so we went ahead and started a beehive. And then when I was second lady, I one of the first things I asked was, do we have a beehive here? And they said no. And I thought, well, that's not right because the White House has a beehive. So we started a beehive right away and it was wonderful. And then everywhere we went, we followed the bees and we visited beehives in countries and states and it was wonderful. That's great. That's great. And the book for each chapter, you kind of have a, a statement or a fact about the bee that actually relates to the content of that particular chapter. Yeah, I do because, you know, Philip, the thing I started learning was I could learn a lot about myself as I learned more about the bees. And one thing I share with the readers is if God could give the honeybee everything that honeybee needed to fulfill their purpose in their little six to eight week lifespan, surely he could give me what I needed for my life. It is so true. And that's the beauty of, of the God that we serve the creator of everything that we experience and his attention to even the smallest of elements of his creation. And yet he loves us so much more. And it does give us that confidence that we need. So loved how you kind of brought that through through the book. So one of the stories that you share is actually a very deeply personal story. And it's right around the issue of difficulty of having children. And it's something that my wife, Amy, and I have also experienced. God has blessed in our case and in your case as well. But kind of walk us through that story of how God showed himself faithful throughout that painful journey. You know, if any of your listeners have struggled with this, it's very painful. I remember being at Easter uh, one year and my little niece, uh, Lauren, said, Auntie Karen, why don't you have any babies? And I said, well, Lauren, I don't know. God hasn't brought me any babies yet. And so it was very difficult. It seemed like everyone around me was getting pregnant. And Mike and I married when I was 28. And so we thought we should start our family. But I didn't have our first child until I was 34. But you're right. It was a struggle. And it was something that I think we just had to trust the Lord with. It's something that he's given us to look back on and to say, wait a minute, remember when we struggled with having a family and he knew what he was doing? It took us six years. And throughout that six-year process, I think Mike will tell you that he finally did give up, that he thought we're not going to have a family and that's okay. But I had it deep in my heart. All I ever wanted was to be a mom. More than anything else, I just wanted to have a little family. And I just knew that somehow God was going to bring us a family. I did struggle with adoption for a while because I didn't want that child 
when they were a teenager to but discard me and say, I want to go find my real mom. And a professor of mine told me, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not how you handle that. He was adopted. And he said, here's what you do. You tell that child they're adopted from the moment they can understand. And then you tell them, if you want to go on that journey to search out your birth parents, I'll go on that journey with you. Don't compete. And then I was okay with it. And so we actually were on an adoption list and they called us. They had a little boy who was going to be born in July. By then I was pregnant and Michael was going to be born in November. And so we took our name off the list so someone else could have that child. And our son has never forgiven me. He said, seriously, mom, I could have had a brother. What were you thinking? Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's great. And that's, it's tough. And our experiences were very similar about the same length of time. And it was one of those things you'd go to church and you're in the young marrieds class, which every week you're just hearing of somebody else who's expecting and you want to celebrate with them. But at the same time, it's difficult because you realize what you can't do. And it really does take that release. And for us, it was really taking our grip off of this is not our lives. The life that we have is God's. And if he chooses to bless us with children, then that's what he's going to do. And if he doesn't, he's got another plan for us. Those are Christianese words that we've all said, but when you live it, you just have a, a totally different perspective on it. Yeah, I know. I smile when people say, oh, we're going to start our family now, and then we're going to have another one in two years. And I just smile and like, not really up to you. Maybe it'll work out that way. That would be great. Uh, in fact, Mike's dad uh, said to us, he said, we didn't tell anybody that we were uh, having infertility issues because we didn't want them to be afraid to tell us they were pregnant. And so we kept it quiet. And Mike's dad finally came to us and said, OK, look, you guys need to start your family because they don't come out as teenagers. <laughs> so it's OK. You can go ahead and have your family. And we then shared with him. And I'm glad we did because he passed away before we actually had children. So, yeah, it makes you appreciate the gift that children really are. And you shared in your book then too, and, and this is often the case with difficult circumstances that we go through. We don't always understand why God is allowing us to go through this. But in the book, you say from a timing perspective, it's like God had this master plan in place and he's just like, well, I, I've got another plan before you have kids, right? Yes. And the funny thing is, when we look back now, we're so glad that we had our family when we did. Because with Mike being in Congress, they were little, we could move them easily. Otherwise, they would have been teenagers and it would have been very difficult. And I look back and see who they met as their spouses and their life plan. So many factors, you know, weighed in and God knew what he was doing. But it's hard sometimes when you're in that struggle or you don't understand, why isn't God giving me a family? I mean, I'm the one who wanted to be a mom. And my friends were like, oh, yeah, we're going to have some kids, you know. But that wasn't their priority in their life. And for me, it was. But he had to remind me that he is the priority. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is sponsored by ABHE, the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At ABHE, bringing the love and light of Christ to the world is reflected in our drive to see our member institutions flourish, leading them to a time of success for their institution and giving them the tools and insights they need to look toward the future. 
Interested in learning more about membership with ABHE? Visit us at abhe.org or send us an email to membership at abhe.org. ABHE is your partner committed to advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. Now, back to the show. Thank you for your, your vulnerability and, and sharing that story. And I, I trust it blesses some of our listeners who perhaps are have gone through that or are currently going through that in, in their lives. Um, so in, in your book, one of the quotes that, I, that really resonated with me reads this way. It says, sometimes when God calls us to a particular position, we just don't feel adequate. And I think that's actually a theme that you kind of brought through the entire book of Okay, well, who am I to be s- sitting with my husband in this office and in the Senate and Indiana and in the vice president's office? And it resonates, I think, with so many of us as Christ followers, because I think oftentimes our calling actually is intimidating. So how did you navigate that insecurity and turn it into a strength? Well, you know, I like to say just when my life was calm and organized and everything was going great that's when God puts my life in a blender. And it's happened over and over again. And I think too, Philip, part of it is there's a fear of the unknown. You just don't know, like, well, what's that going to look like? It took us three tries to get elected to Congress. And the third try happened 10 years later. And by then we had our kids, we had built our dream home. Mike was, uh, had a radio show. I had my watercolor business. The kids were all in school. Things were so stable. And when we got the opportunity to consider running for Congress again, because now it was an open seat and people knew where Mike stood on the issues because of his talk radio show, we still knew all of the donors, all of the volunteers in that district. Now it would mean moving our kids to Washington. And it would mean uprooting and selling our home and taking them out of their school. And so many unknowns. And yet we just had to trust that he knew what he was doing. And he, I found, maybe you have found this too, but as we go through life and we have these times where things seem uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen, I feel like God has given me a little like a little perk or a little glimpse or a little bonus, just a little reward, like, okay, I know this is hard for you, but look what I'm going to do here. So just trust me. And that happened to us when Mike finally did get elected and it was orientation week in Washington in November before we would move our family there in December. I was looking for a school for the kids to attend And I walked into one school, it was a Christian school in Virginia, and I said, you know, I'd like to enroll all three of our kids. And they said, well, we don't have any openings in any grade levels right now. And at that time, I had been helping as the art teacher at their school. And I said, well, you know, I'm an art teacher. I might just homeschool them to finish the year. And they stopped and looked at me and said, you're an art teacher? We need an art teacher. And so we're going to do, we're going to put all of your kids in their respective classrooms. They'll be the 26th child in that room, but we need an art teacher. And it was perfect because it was a part-time job and it was surrounded by believers. And I would know my kids' friends and their teachers. 
and I would have an identity that wasn't congressional spouse. Now, remember that night when I met back up with Mike, I said, you're not going to believe this. God is providing in a mighty way, and we've seen it over and over in our lives. Yeah, it's my one of my life verses is Proverbs 16, 9, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And I think it's a beautiful marriage of the choices that we make, but also the sovereignty of God, that we build these elaborate plans, yet it's God who's directing each one of those steps. And I can pretty much guarantee, maybe you had this vision when you were, say, a teenager or in college, that one day you'd be sitting as the second lady to the vice president of the United States, that you'd be in that kind of a role, in that kind of a position. You probably would have handed that back to God and said, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. I don't need that. But somehow in his sovereignty, he builds, right? It's a step that we take. And he says, okay, you did this. You did this well. You navigated it well. You were a good steward of the resource that I gave to you. Now I'm going to push you a little bit more and I'm going to give you more. And then you prove yourself faithful with that. And then God continues to bless. And I like even how you say how he gives little little signals along the way. Sometimes maybe it's hard to find those signals, but there's these little confirmations that, okay, I get it now. And we, you would think we'd learn, right? You'd think that when the next challenge comes, we'd be in so much better of a position to be able to say, oh yeah, you've proven yourself in the past. So here we go, walking into this next stage. It's not going to be a problem now. But I no, think in that, the beauty- that, that happened to us when we were considering whether or not to run for president, because I was very resistant. And I actually felt like, well, Lord, okay, I gave 20 years to public service. We just bought a home. We have three grandbabies. I don't think you want us to enter this race. And my daughter, who helped me with the book, actually said, Mom, maybe you need to read your book, you know, because this might be another time to serve. And isn't it great that the Lord didn't say, you know, I've done enough for you, Karen. I don't think I'm going to die on the cross for you. I've done enough. And so sometimes, Philip, I think it's conviction where he, you know, holds us accountable. It's, it's not necessarily like, oh, well, but if you do, this wonderful thing will happen too. Sometimes it's like, you know, seriously, are you really trusting me? Yeah. Yeah. And it takes on a whole level new meaning when it's your daughter who challenges you, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so when you were the second lady, you had various opportunities to advocate for certain causes. And in the book, you mentioned three of them. There's several that you mentioned, but three that you highlight, uh, one, in, one of them being art therapy, the other being the military, and the third one, mental health awareness. And I know it's hard for you to do, but just for the sake of time related to our podcast, out of those three, which one would you say was most impactful on you and why? Well, I think all of the initiatives had their own impact where we worked with you know different groups, but the impact on me was definitely the strongest with art therapy. I didn't really know what art therapy was and I had learned what it was when Mike was in Congress and I was a congressional spouse. And I learned about a program called Tracy's Kids, uh, which is for children with cancer. And I started to observe their program and eventually was on their steering committee and later their board. And I learned that art therapy actually requires three parts to it. 
It has to have the client or the patient. It has to have the actual art. And it also has to have a licensed art therapist. And art therapists are masters and doctorate level therapists, but they use art as their therapy medium. And the reason it is so successful is because the side of the brain injured in trauma is the verbal side. And so, you know, these children couldn't talk to anybody. So they would hide under their covers and they would not speak to their family and parents would be worried. And once this art therapist started working with these children, then they would say, you know, when do I get to go back to the hospital? And I thought, when do I get to go back to the hospital? There has to be something to this program. Then I uh, helped bring art therapy to our children's hospital in Indiana. And when I was first lady of Indiana, I actually got to observe art therapy uh, with our vets. And it was so powerful. There was a program. This is just one piece of art therapy for vets, but it was called, or it is called combat paper. And the veteran has had this identity wrapped around their uniform years. So they come to this workshop, they bring their uniform and they cut it up into little tiny pieces. And they put those pieces into a pulp machine, which then processes it, grinds it up, and then you roll out this thick piece of paper that is made from their uniform. And on that paper, they can paint something or use a stencil or write something. And it kind of helps them make that transition to this new identity. And the more I started seeing art therapy and how successful it was with our veterans, then I got very involved in bringing art therapy to the VA and encouraging our veterans to try art therapy because, you know, Philip, these are these macho guys and they're like, art therapy, I'm not going to do that, you know. And, but so many of them told me every time I would meet with them, they would say, you know what, art therapy saved my marriage, it saved my life. And so I've kind of been an advocate for this process um, of art therapy so that people know about it and that. Uh, students might go into art therapy as a profession. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how things that you wouldn't necessarily connect or think that they connect, particularly with the audience that you talk about, right? With the military, right? These tough people, I'm I'm not going to sit down and paint, but yet it's able to unlock for them their experiences and be able to move on and create that new identity. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And I know you're passionate about the military and also mental health with which Boy, today, it's just such a struggle to see a generation that is really, really struggling with their mental health. And I know it's hitting our college campuses. I've never seen such a ramp up on our college campuses. It used to be a college campus would have maybe one counselor and a a workload of maybe 20 students at any given point. And now there are multiple staff teams of counselors helping students work through some of the mental uh, health issues that are coming their way. Which actually is a segue into the, this is going to be our last question. I wish we could go on for a whole nother episode, but with our last question, I want to make sure that we kind of talk through this because the audience that is listening in on this, these are leaders at uh, Bible colleges, at Christian universities, presidents, chief academic officers, student development officers. So you, you have a captive audience of folks that are in Christian and biblical higher education all across North America. So based on your experiences of answering God's call in the public sector, what message do you have for them 
as they are pouring themselves into this next generation that we talked about with a lot of the mental health issues uh, and, and experiences that they have? What's the one thing that you would just love for them to know? You know, I'm glad you asked that question, Philip, because I really believe that our young people need to have a biblical worldview. Part of the reason I think we struggle with mental health is because of social media. And nobody can measure up to social media. And it's very discouraging to get on and see, oh, everyone else has this put together. And in reality, that's not real. But I think when kids see policy coming out and protests and opinions, what they really need is to know how to know what God says about these issues. And one of the things that I've done, really the only thing that I raise money for right now is Emanuel Christian High School in Springfield, Virginia, because uh, it's where I taught elementary school. And then about four years ago, they decided to start high school because we realized we were training these kids through eighth grade and then turning them over. And we weren't really equipping them. And one of the reasons I believe so strongly in this high school is because every morning they start the day with the biblical worldview course. And right now we're actually raising money to, we're going to start putting these on video and making them available to homeschool uh, groups and other Christian high schools around the country. Because our kids have to know, well, how do I feel about this issue that's front and center? And nothing is off limits at this school. And I think that's the way it needs to be in our college campuses too. Nothing's off limits. But what I try to tell my kids and, and kids that I taught is, you know, I didn't make up the Bible. I'm just telling you, I can't pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I'm going to believe. I either trust the Lord and I believe the Bible as true, or I don't. And teaching our kids how to take a modern day issue and go back to the word and understand what God's will is, is critical. It's critical right now. And that's the way we're going to raise up leaders for tomorrow. So I applaud all of you who are doing this on your college campuses because these kids head to college and all of a sudden, you know, they're inundated with all these other ideas and they don't know where to go to find the truth. Yeah. And that's what, when we were together, that's the thing that we, that you and I connected on was this whole idea of biblical worldview. And because that's something that, that we're very passionate about with is the word of God has something to say about everything everything that we experience. And I applaud your efforts to be doing that at the formational stage of high school. It, it ought to be done even before that, right? It's a learning. It's a way to process. And I think one of the reasons why we have the mental health crisis that we have, you mentioned the social media, everything is coming our way and people don't know how to process that information. And there's no grid by which they're processing that information. And the biblical worldview is a structure to be able to do that. And so it's great that you're doing that at, at Emmanuel. And I really hope that it takes off and is able to be used in other contexts, other Christian schools, because I know the product to the students that come into Christian and biblical higher education that will help them so much to enter the college environment so that the you know our schools can continue to build on that foundation and uh, so we have several initiatives that we're doing within ABHE to just really reinforce uh, this whole idea of a biblical worldview and if we're going to make change if we're going to make change it's going to have to happen 
with graduates who graduate from our institutions, who have this biblical worldview, who know you know, Jesus Christ is their personal Savior and dwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're going out and they're making a difference because of that worldview that they have. Yeah. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us today. Your book, When It's Your Turn to Serve, is available in all formats on Amazon. You have some great stories in there. I love the chapter on the Secret Service and just some of your experiences uh, that you didn't anticipate, like scheduling a, a condo as the vice president and pretty much being denied by the Secret Service that you could even do something like that, right? Right. But some great stories in there, but you weave it together beautifully to, those, to tell the story of a life that's been changed by Christ who's living on mission with him. So if you're interested in the book, definitely go to Amazon. And if you're interested in finding out more information about Karen's uh, biblical worldview work at Emanuel Christian School, uh, we've provided a link to that uh, in the episode description. Uh, So feel free to go to that and you can find out more information about her work. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Really appreciate it. So until next time, stay kingdom focused. Thanks for listening to Biblical Higher Ed Talk. For more, follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're delighted that you chose to spend a part of your day with us and encourage you to reach out to us with feedback, topics, or guests for the show. You can get in touch with Philip, your host, via LinkedIn or at biblicalhigheredtalk at abhe.org. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is a production of the Association for Biblical Higher Education in association with Westport Studios. Views expressed on this show are those of the participants and may not reflect the views of ABHE or Westport Studios. Bring light and life to your biblical higher educational organization by inquiring about membership with ABHE at abhe.org. We'll catch you next time.